If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Welcome to episode 214 of the Leading Learning Podcast, where we talk with Luis Suarez, the Chief Learning and Innovation Officer at the American Council on Education, or ACE. Before we dive into the interview, we want to make sure that listeners know we offer a range of resources beyond the podcast. One of the key places we alert people to those resources is on LinkedIn, where we regularly share links to valuable articles we've read, where we alert followers to our upcoming free webinars, and where we sometimes make special offers you can't get anywhere else. So we invite and encourage you to follow us on LinkedIn to get resources to help increase the reach revenue, and impact of your learning business. To do that, go to leadinglearning.com slash LinkedIn. Now, Jeff, you had the pleasure of talking with Lewis. What did the two of you discuss? Well, as you mentioned, Lewis leads learning and innovation at ACE. He has also published a number of important papers while at ACE, including the Post-Traditional Learners Manifesto Revisited, Aligning Post-Secondary Education with Real Life for Adult Student Success, and Evolving Higher Education Business Models, Leading with Data to Deliver Results. So he's very tuned in to adult lifelong learning, and in particular, how to achieve real impact with adult lifelong learning. So we, of course, discuss his perspective on the emerging lifelong learning landscape, and we go into detail around a concept that ACE really pioneered many years ago, and that's credit for prior learning. Now, while ACE is very much focused on the world of higher education, it is itself an association and has to provide lifelong learning opportunities for its members. So we also discuss that, and in particular, a learning community that ACE has launched for peer-to-peer learning with the audience that it serves. So all in all, there's just a lot in this conversation that the average leading learning listener will find both important and useful. Well, important and useful is a combination we certainly strive for here on Leading Learning. What reflection questions do you have to offer to reinforce the importance and usefulness of this episode, Jeff? Well, first, uh, as I mentioned, we talk in detail about the concept of credit for prior learning. So as you're listening, consider how this concept could potentially apply in your own learning business. Where would there be value in offering credit for prior learning, and how might it help you attract your learners to new learning opportunities? Next, Lewis talks about ACE's Engage Learning Community and the principles that guide it. So as you're listening to that segment, think about how intentional you are using community, how intentional you are in using community and social learning as part of your learning business strategy, and ask, what are the principles that drive our learning community? Well, those are great questions to spark both learning and innovation. So let's roll the interview with Luis Suarez. Hey there, I'm Jeff Cobb, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. For this episode, I'm very happy to be joined by Luis Suarez, the Chief Learning and Innovation Officer for the American Council on Education. 
In that role, Lewis incubates and scales ACE's executive leadership networks, as well as catalyzes compelling research and innovation initiatives across the council. We first connected around the concept of credit for prior learning, and we'll definitely touch on that as well as a range of other topics in this conversation. But first, Lewis, welcome to Leading Learning. Oh, Jeff, it's terrific uh, to be on, and I'm a listener of the podcast and always learn something new and uh, was excited to uh, have you respond to my uh, my interest in the podcast and be interested in chatting with um, about my perspectives on learning, my perspectives on the work we're doing here at ACE, and about adult students in general. So happy to be here and excited to get into things. Well, I, I really was glad that, um, that you reached out. It prompted me to, to learn a little bit more about what you're doing, but I definitely want to share uh, some of your background with listeners. Now, first of all, um, you've got a, a, a great title, a title I'm envious of, uh, Chief Learning and Innovation <laughs> Officer. So that's, that's fantastic. And you're working for, you know, what I think of as a, as a, a venerable kind of hefty institution, the American Council on Education. So you know, I'd love to hear a bit more about both of those. What what does ACE do? And then what? talk a little bit more about your role there as that innovation and learning officer. Sure, you bet. So ACE is a, is a member organization of colleges and universities. We have about 1,700 members, and we represent all kinds of colleges, two-year schools, four-year schools, research universities, regional comprehensives. We have about, like I said, about 1,700 members. Um, we do what normal membership organizations do. We do um, some advocacy and lobbying for our members with regard to public policy. And we also do a lot of professional development and learning for our members. And so if you were to visit our website, you'd see many of our programs are designed for folks that are administrators on college campuses and want to advance their careers. So you're a, you're a dean, you're a faculty member and you want to be a faculty department chair, you're a department chair and you want to be a dean, you're a dean, you want to be a provost, you want to be a president. We, we have a variety of offerings that allow us to help folks develop their skills at different points in their career. And to, to your point, we're really excited in the last um, year to launch a new peer-to-peer learning platform called ACE Engage. And happy to talk about that as well. So that's kind of a, a, a big overshadow of what we do. One of the services that's a really cool thing about what we do, we've been around about 100 years. And when we started, we were called the Emergency Council on Education. Huh. And we started just after World War I. And what happened was, after World War I, there were a bunch of folks that um, went and served in, in the military before they ever finished high school. And when they came back, it was very difficult to try to figure out how they fit into the educational system. And trying to solve that problem was um, how the American Council on Education got started. The, the government asked a coalition of institutions to get together and try to help solve that problem. One of the out, outgrowths of that problem uh, was the GED test, if folks mm. are familiar with that. Right, we right. actually were the, we were the creators of the GED test. And we owned it for a long, long time until about 10 years ago. Um, but also, we've been very involved over the years in uh, all kinds of public policy, the GI Bill with regard to adult learners. Um, and, but that, the other part of the work that grew from there was this credit for prior learning work. So tell us, tell and, us a little bit more about what that, what that means, then, that, that credit for well, prior learning. The, the way it started was um, actually after World War II. So you had the intervening period there. And then after World War II, 
there was a demand on the part of the Department of Defense. Hey, look, we do a lot of training. And now our guys are going to use the GI Bill and go try to go to college as part of the, you know, reintegrating into civilian life. And maybe, they, maybe they learned useful stuff that's worth some college credits that, can, you know, that we can transfer in and they can pay less for college or the GI Bill can pay less for college. And so we started something called the Military Evaluation Service, where we reviewed military training to, for different levels of college credit. And we've been doing that for about 70 years. And so we review the workplace training in the military, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard, different, everything you can imagine, leadership training, uh, training to be an avionics mechanic on a sophisticated jet fighter, training for, to be a nuclear technician. We, we evaluate all that. And we have um, process that we say, that's the equivalent of this in a college program. And then you can transfer that over to your college. And what happened in the, in the mid-70s when um, we were starting seeing uh, a lot more, um, maybe the first economic dislocation, when a lot more adults started going back to either they never went to college and a high school diploma was still good enough for, for um, being successful in the labor market. Um, you started seeing more folks going back to college as adults, and we started reviewing corporate training, so workplace training. Like some of our clients right now are JetBlue, KFC, Jiffy Lube. So we review that corporate workplace training now and assign college equivalents to it, and then we transcript it and transfer in the same model. It's like, hey, look, if you've got 60 credits to finish, whatever credential you're looking for, um, here's your, your, you have 12 credits in, uh, but with our evaluation. So that's and kind now, of probably learning in a nutshell. Yeah, and that, that, that's that's fascinating. Um, and I want to come back in into the details on that, but also pull back out to the broader perspective because I've I've been struck a number of times lately. Um, I'm thinking, for example, I had a conversation with uh, Bill Draves of, of Learn. I don't know if you're familiar with with him and that organization, but a while back, and he was pointing about pointing out how sort of the, the shift that we experienced towards the beginning of the 20th century towards the automobile and all of that culture, that there, there's a lot in the shift that we're experiencing right now that's similar and is creating um, a, a new set of demands on learning. And then I wasn't fully um, aware of ACE's background. I knew you were you know, involved with um, giving credit for uh, you know, military-type uh, experiences, but you know, you, there, there's the parallel between World War One and there being this sort of dislocation, World War Two and there being a sort of dislocation, the economics of the seventies, and now, now we're in this, uh, you know, what I talk about is the, the the learning landscape, the global learning landscape, where people are also finding themselves uh, dislocated or or just facing new demands as adults out in the workplace and having to, you know, continually retool, upskill, um, you know, continue to really, really be deep into continuing education. I'd, I'd love, well, A, does that resonate? You know, those, those sort of, you know, it, it pays to study history, I guess. Um, uh, but then also, how are you, how are you seeing that adult learning landscape change at this point? How have you seen it change during your time with ACE? So uh, I'll go a little bit further back. Uh, I've been doing this type of work for almost 20 years, like okay. many of the folks that you, you, you all interview over time. And what's gradually happened since the mid-80s is I call it the increase in learning intensity mm. that happens in, in daily life, right? So across all of our domains of life. So as a community member, a parent, an employee, an entrepreneur, as a citizen, 
we're, we're having to learn faster and learn more than we had to before. And the other things that the other trends lines that have followed that is technology is allowing us to both deliver that education, but also um, track how people learn better. So our understanding of slowly but surely, our understanding of learning at a granular level is, is ramping up. So the, the ability to understand what people know at a given point in time, that's also increased since the 80s dramatically. And the third part, which I think has always been with us, but we're, we're pivoting to now, is like because technology is changing so quickly, especially in our economic lives, but not only, because um, our ability to process information as citizens is in play these days. How quickly do we have to learn how to parse through information in that part of our lives? Um, is how do you blend technology with real-world experience to build your competency? Mm. And that kind of blended learning solution. I know that folks in the corporate world um, have called that learning in the flow of work. Right, right. And I know that, and I think that that is coming to specifically for my approach at ACE, that's there's an evolution um, that that's coming to higher education in two ways. The first is in the work that we do, which is educating students, and the the second is why we created uh, ACE Engage, which is how do you develop the skills of campus leaders and executives right. in real time? Right. So uh, learning is becoming more intense. Um, our ability to measure it at granular level is a granular levels is affecting what we think is a is a reasonable measure. And there's still a lot, you know. Um, traditional credentials from uh, have been a proxy for learning outcomes. And as technology is coming up from the bottom, we're seeing more granular level things like badges to measure what people know. We still have issues with understanding the quality of all those items. And it, to me, it makes it a frenetic time for learning professionals, but also an exciting time. If you're looking for a platform that will empower you to track and measure the quality of the learning experiences you offer, check out our sponsor for this quarter. Community Brands provides a suite of cloud-based software for organizations to engage and grow relationships with the individuals they serve, including association management software, learning management software, job board software, and event management software. Community Brands' award-winning Crowd Wisdom Learning Platform is among the world's best LMSs for corporate extended enterprise and is a leading LMS for association-driven professional education programs. Award-winning Freestone, Community Brands' live event learning platform, is a leading platform for live learning event capture, webinars, webcasts, and on-demand streaming. Find out more at leadinglearning.com slash communitybrands. And now back to the interview as Jeff and Lewis discuss the demand for alternate forms of tracking and validation in the corporate world. You mentioned uh, earlier that you've got some some pretty blue chip corporate uh I don't know if you refer to them as clients, uh, but uh, corporations you work with, definitely uh, yep. uh, the JetBlues and the, and the KFCs. Uh, I mean, wh what are you hearing from the corporate world at this point? I mean, when a JetBlue or a KFC comes to you, I, you know, are you dealing with their chief learning officer? Who are you dealing with? And, and are, th are they saying this, that we, just, we, we have to have these sort of alternate paths to tracking and measuring and validating learning in order to you know, really operate the way we need to in, in today's economy? I think there's both uh, an understanding of, of talent on folks that 
that find us and are interested in the work that we do, and also how much they connect um, talent development and learning to their mm. business goals, right? Um, what, what, some folks come to us and they want to uh, they want to simply they have um, they, they believe in investing in their talent, investing in their employees, and they want to encourage them using, for example, different tax benefits and things to continue their formal education. And we're a way to help optimize the tuition assistance benefits that companies get, right? Got it. Okay. Um, the yeah. tax that, right. So that's one aspect of it. The other aspects of it are just as you say, in, in a time when companies are competing for talent, they're trying to look at learning and say, okay, how do I optimize the learning of the folks that are with me right now, such that looking across all the different ways they're learning and how I understand what they may know and are able to do, but also that allows me to reposition them internally. But I'm seeing more global companies just acknowledging it's like, look, to be an employer of choice, I have to facilitate learning regardless of where they go after me. Mm-hmm. It's simply, especially for millennials and Gen Z, they're like, look, part of the package is how much are you going to help me learn and how much are you going to help me document what I know, whether I stay here or not. Yeah. But part, part of what I want to know is that answer. And so you have everything from, hey, how do I optimi- optimize uh, tuition assistance benefit for long-term employees to how do I stay a competitive employer on bringing people in the door by emphasizing learning and helping people optimize their learning regardless of what they choose to do next? We're seeing yeah. that gamut. I like that, that uh, you use that phrase, it being an employer of choice. Uh, it's certainly more and, and more important. Um, and you also, you mentioned that you you know, the corporations are, are moving in this direction, certainly the larger ones. Um, you mentioned that you feel this is coming to, to higher education. Um, how, how, far, how far along is higher education and is, is higher education? I mean, higher education traditionally has been about degree programs, uh, mostly. Um, so how, how prepared is higher education for this? Where are we in, in transitioning to maybe thinking a little differently about uh, how learning happens, how it's measured, how it's validated? Sure. Like all things, um, like there's a continuum in the corporate world that I just described, there's a continuum here. Part of it is driven by demographics. Mm. You know, as demographic change changes the mix of, you know, do you have more 18-year-olds that are perhaps more interested in a very traditional college experience, you know, four years at the front end of your life? Um, or you have more older folks who are already in the labor market and they need to blend work and learning over time. And that affects different colleges differently around the country, right? Um, and but that being said, part of what the, the most innovation you're seeing is with adult-serving institutions, colleges that have robust continuing education programs or have a mission of serving working adults mm-hmm. uh, and helping them finish their credentials. What you're seeing there is the emergence of things like stackable credentials, like what are other um, non-degree credentials that someone has, and can I stack them um, and then award them credit if they don't already have credit associated with them to build towards that, lar- that, that, that degree, so kind of like the building blocks up to finishing the credential. But you're also seeing, I mean, the, the reality is that among the greatest innovators of certificates and, um, and badges and things, 
are especially certificates. I won't say badges, especially certificates in shorter term trainings are the continuing ed shops at colleges, mm-hmm. right? It's like they, they do, you know, they see market needs in your regional markets and they adapt to them and they create new certificate programs. The hot ones would be cybersecurity, right? Right. Right. Like if you're, if you, if you, if you get off the podcast and Google, like, you know, eight universities at random, right? I bet you go to the continuing ed shop. They're, they're all offering cybersecurity certificates. And so the, a way that they're innovating is closer in to their, to their comfort level. But there are, there are folks that are starting to do that, that how do I combine these credentials? It's still very emergent for higher ed, though. And one of the things that um, we need to work on better with corporate partners is how do you build those connections, Right. right. They do happen. They do happen in at the local level and regional levels. And what we've seen over the years doing the credit for prior learning work is that one of our challenges with scaling the work is that there 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 are a lot of one off collaborations, you know, one employer with one college, and we haven't developed we haven't developed almost the um uh the common language or the common set of tools to be able to scale uh, how you connect workplace learning with more formal um, college education. And that's just an evolution we're on together. And, and do you feel, I mean, you've mentioned, you know, certificate programs, which I, I agree, there's a, been a lot of innovation um, in the academic world with certificate programs. And, and in many cases, they've, they've turned out to be very lucrative for, for uh, institutions. Um, but, but less has happened with... Um, I, well, I'll, I'll call certificates a, a form of micro-credential, but other types of micro-credentials like, um, like badging maybe haven't gotten quite as much traction. I mean, is that how, how essential is that, do you think, for the evolution and the scaling um, that we need? And, and what's, what's standing in the way right now? I mean, I, honestly, I think both on the, the corporate side and the higher ed side is we still need more data to support uh, mm. the, the, the quality of the learning outcomes, right? Right. Um, I, I, I want to come back to the GED in a minute because I think it's really interesting. Um, but um, we know there's research on badges that shows that badging as a motivator to go to the next level of learning works well, actually. Mm. That's emerging. Whether or not uh, a badge for uh, our ability to link competency and assessment to a badge where you, you did something for three weeks and we know that you can do that thing, that's still very emergent in, in both worlds. Right. Um, and I think that that's an issue of scale. However, examples where, um, I, this is my view, is places where you see an interesting hybrid is if you're familiar with GitHub, mm-hmm. right? And in GitHub, GitHub started more as a community and a relational tool. So you, you would be, you'd know that the person could code in Red Hat because you know someone else on the platform that knows them, that managed them on the project. And over time, GitHub is starting to put some parameters in there. So they're, they're combining the relational aspect. There's someone that vouches for this person because they worked with them on a project with um, the fact that, well, if you did this bundle of code, you could probably do this other bundle of code. And that combination of reputational um, uh, affirmation that you can do the work with a more structured sense of what did you demonstrate you're competent at? 
I actually think that's the place to look for where badges are really going to take off and mm. why they're likely to take off in the software industry. Right. Because yeah. in, the software in, in the software industry, look, if you, uh, if you did uh, 25 patches to a Red Hat um, piece of software uh, and it worked, then you know you're competent to do those 25 patches. Right. right? It, um, but coming back to the GED so we can think a little bit about, so what the GED is, it's called a high school equivalency exam. And I sometimes, in my, when I talk to folks, I say, look, what the GED really is is the first badge because it's, uh, now I'll use some jargon term, it's a platform agnostic assessment of whether or not someone has a high school level of skills, mm-hmm. right? doesn't matter where you went to high school. doesn't matter if you finished high school. If you pass the test, we, and over a 100-year period, based on the way society's needs have changed, there have been all different ways of looking at the GED. We, we still don't know exactly, specifically what it measures. So when you're trying to measure something, uh, learning, agnostic of context, it's just challenging. And I think that that's not bad. It's just that that's all where we are together. And it, it, to me, it always inspires. Um, it, never, um, it never dims my enthusiasm for finding better and deeper ways to help people themselves understand what they know and are able to do. But it also keeps us humble about, look, there's a lot of competing um, points of view that go into whether a credential means a certain thing. Right. And that's good. That, that applies to associate's degrees and bachelor's degrees and the GED. And it's also going to apply to badges. And we just need to understand that and actually grow from there is my own view. Yeah, and, it, and it seems to me, um, I mean, you're, you know, you're, you're from a membership organization. Uh, I mean, essentially an, an association uh, of sorts. Many of our listeners are, you know, are from the association world are different types of membership organizations, or they might be, you know, institutes or nonprofits that are focused on a particular, you know, trade profession niche out there. And it, it just seems to me that this whole area of uh, equivalency, you know, establishing competency based on experience and being able to measure that uh, just alternative forms of validating people in, in whatever field or industry they're in, to me, it's, it, it seems like a, a tremendous opportunity for those sorts of organizations, and some of them are realizing that and stepping up to it. It also seems to me that there's probably some really fertile ground for um, collaboration between academia and this kind of trade professional um, type world. Uh, I, I wonder if you're seeing um, any of that or if you see those opportunities as well. So in, I think... What's coming to my mind as I, as I reflect on your question is that what we learned for us was that as the, the same kind of disruptions, technology, demographics, um, the speeding up of the global economy um, that are affecting all other industries, they are also affecting higher ed. And, you know, professionals on our campuses, deans, provosts, associate provosts, they're also needing to build their skills kind of in real time. Mm-hmm. How can I be a better provost today? Uh, an example we often use in our, in our, in our talking um, is, you know, now uh, around the topic of provocative speakers on college campuses, right. that's been in the papers. So folks will understand that those can arise in, in a president, a provost and their teams have to deal with that in real time. 
how do they get access to learning that helps them build their skills and apply it like within 24 hours? This is an, what's happening in the rest of the economy, and it's also coming to higher ed. When we, when we were building Engage, um, and, and it, one of the things that there were two primary assumptions to it and then four design principles. Hey, can, um, you, can you say just quickly what, what Engage is? Because I was thinking this is a great segue to that. Um, and then, oh, sure, sure. So in, Engage is uh, it's a peer-to-peer learning platform. It's, we, we designed, um, uh, higher education is a very peer-to-peer oriented um, industry anyway, um, where executives tend to, they, even in, in historically, they've always wanted to learn from each other, right? It, it's, uh, it's been, and it felt to us like if we could find the right digital platform or environment that could further encourage that peer-to-peer learning, it would allow us to I mean, the, the way we talk about it is what, a, what would affordable, scalable professional learning look like in higher education? Mm-hmm. And um, when we were thinking about um, the, the, the Engage is built off two core tools. It's the ability to form um, both uh, high level and small groups for discussions at different levels of intensity and different levels of privacy and a, um, a library of content that is uh, multimedia content, and it's all designed for short, digestible. Um, it's it's our version of micro learning, is what it is. For, it's for the for your for your um, your learning solutions, um, uh, the learning solutions folks in your community. It's our version right. of micro learning. There's no course that's longer than 20 minutes, and the 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 flat content is all act. Very short white papers, if you prefer to read that way, and action checklists for what to do next. Um, let me go to an example of that, and then I want to back out again. Um, uh, you know, you're a busy provost, and it's Thursday afternoon at four o'clock, and your assistant puts um, uh, your calendar for the next day on your desk because that still happens in higher education. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and you look down, and at nine o'clock, it's the um, it's the all hands on deck because in two weeks, uh, provocative speaker is coming to your campus, and you go to engage, and you listen to a short podcast by the president of a liberal arts college who went through the exact same thing last year, and you listen to that um, on your drive to go to your son's soccer game, and then uh, um, this is my favorite part actually of the story, and then after dinner over a glass of red wine. You read the action check. You read the action checklist that says, "Here's what faculty should do. Here's what your facility folks should do. Here's what the provost should do. Here's what your public affairs office should do." So you have a way. That, that's not, you have to you have to adapt that to your own needs. But that's learning in real time for us. And, and I, I, I'll say I, I like the red wine part of that too. But but what I <laughs> what I liked even more was the fact that you use a podcast as an example of uh, of how people are going to to learn on the fly. So, yeah. Um, and uh, and also, if you if you formed a small group of provosts on the platform, you could ping your small group, and you could mm-hmm. say, "Hey, I, I just listened to the podcast," and they can you can then do an e dialogue there. Um, but coming back to it, because I think fundamentals matter, and I, and I know you and I chatted about this briefly before, but I, I like that uh, infused in this podcast series are both sophisticated new tools 
in business ROI, but also fundamentals of adult learning, because I think that that matters deeply mm-hmm. to whether or not we're, gonna, we're, we're helping people learn. Um, the two assumptions were, in a fast-changing world, uh, new, easily digestible knowledge is critical to being an effective uh, leader on a college campus. And the second is harnessing community intelligence is absolutely critical. A lot of the smarts to um, help other, other of your peers already exist somewhere in the community. And how do we tap into that and make it available on the digital platform? Um, and because that, that affects the way we approach our, our community and, and view them as learners and teachers to each other. And then the design principles were foster community, build knowledge, catalyze learning, and enable action. And in a, in a, everything that I've ever seen on research says, in a digital environment, if you can't develop the bonds of trust and exchange that make a community, people won't learn in that setting. Right, and yeah. so we, we, we're trying to do that. Building knowledge we have uh, an emergent competency model. Uh, we're not done with it yet, but we're going to build it organically. And eventually we'll get to, um, we've had some initial conversations about credentialing and micro-credentialing. Mm. So you can imagine, but again, for us, that's new. I know that for others are far more advanced than us, but for us, uh, like a, a micro-credential in crisis communication, that's a big deal on college campuses right now right. because from mental health issues to um, campus inclusion, race and equity issues to, uh, unfortunately and tragically, um, live shooter incidents. Crisis communication is becoming like a go-to skill mm-hmm. for campus leaders. And how can you get, get update on that quickly? And then um, catalyze learning. We've done our best to use social learning theory, uh, digital learning theory, and basic adult learning theory to craft the stuff. And then enable action is the action checklist. It's like our, our members don't just want to come and learn. They want to be able to do something the next day at the office. Right. And we, we're still learning all of that. I know that's a, that's a lot, and we're still learning all of it, and welcome learning from others. Um, but we believe that those assumptions and those principles are helping us create an environment with a, where the campus leaders can be peers and, in fact, help teach each other. Right. Well, and I, yeah, I really appreciate that you you have the core principles that are guiding it. Um, we'll be sure to bullet those in the uh, in the show notes for the episode. We'll also link uh, people to at least the front door for engage. And if there happens to be you know any any deeper material that's accessible publicly, then maybe we can get that from you because I know folks are very eager to to learn about this. Um, this has been a fantastic conversation. We've we've talked about kind of you know big picture uh, adult learning. Um, we've talked about your your own efforts with ACE Engage and trying to serve your audience. So uh, before we exit here, I want to narrow down even a little bit more to to, to just you and to a, a question that we ask of all of our guests and one that you know focuses on your own learning and and specifically that question is what is one of the most powerful learning experiences you've been involved in as an adult since finishing your formal education? Sure. For me, that's an easy one. So I was a Peace Corps volunteer ah, in, okay. in, in Romania, and it was just learning a new culture. I, I was a, a small business volunteer in Romania, so I helped people write business plans. And I worked primarily with small bakeries and small meat processing shops. Interesting. This was, this was just after the Berlin Wall came down. And I just learned this, how, if you stay present, how you learn a new culture, 
how you really listen to people who communicate differently than you, not because there's anything wrong with them or you. They just learn to communicate very differently. And um, I just came away a changed person in terms of how I believe I can learn from people in real time and staying present to, okay, I know I have a job to do in this particular moment, but what am I learning here by, am I sensing a lack of communication or am I misunderstanding something repeatedly? When you do that in a, in a situation like Peace Corps, you can't help but be changed in how you process the world. And that's it. It's been, so it's actually, uh, I think it changed how I am a learner, not just that I learned something. It just literally changed how I think I learn. And it was still one of the most moving learning experiences in my life. I love that. I've never met anybody who was in the Peace Corps who doesn't list it as, you know, one of the, the major <laughs> learning experiences in their life. And, and I mean, I think it's that combination of, you know, uh, being compelled and challenged to provide service and to do it in a culture different from your own. Um, as you said, uh, I mean, you're going to you're going to learn. But then it sounds like you took it the, the step further to really to be conscious of, of how it was impacting you as a learner and, and what that was going to mean going forward. So that's great. And just just one one anecdote, if we have time, um, I was doing a, a presentation on uh, distribution once, and it, it, this goes exactly to the kind of the way it changed me. Um, it was a group of maybe thirty or forty folks that were from different government organizations at that time. They were still mostly state agent state companies and factories in in Romania, and um, this was ninety five and ninety six, and. Um, I was talking about distribution and product place promotion, and one of the folks stood up, and it looked like he was like maybe mid-50s, and he said, you're using a word that I don't understand. Can you help me understand it? And I said, sure. And he said, what is a customer? Ooh, huh. And I was just like, that freaked me out. <laughs> I was like, yeah. And essentially, his entire working life, Basically, the government, the factory yeah, got an order yeah. from the factory got a, an order from the Bucharest, the, the central government. Of Bucharest said, "Make this, make this much." Um, with a paint factory, make this much paint. They never knew where it went. They never knew if people liked it or not. And it, it was just that's one of those moments that it really says, "Whoa!" As you're trying to figure out how to be helpful here and learn this situation, you really have to understand that some of your basic assumptions may be off. It was it was a powerful moment for me, for sure. That is that is very powerful. Thanks for taking a moment to share that anecdote. So, well, Lewis, this has been a, a a great conversation. I really am glad we connected and that uh, you were able to come on the show. If folks want to find out more about uh, ACE, if they want to find out more about you and, and potentially connect with you, um, how should they go about doing that? Um, I can be reached. Uh, I'll just give my email if that's if appropriate. Um, that's fine. It's L S O A R E S at ACENET, A C E N E T dot E D U. Well, great. Well, that's fantastic. I do encourage folks to, to reach out. Um, we'll also have links to um, ACE and the show notes and, and just uh, various things that were mentioned. Uh, always do check out those show notes, they're valuable. Lewis, thanks so much for being a guest on Leading Learning. Uh, Jeff, thanks for having me and have a terrific day. That concludes the interview with Luis Suarez. To get show notes, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 214. And the show notes will include the reflection questions. 
One, how could the concept of credit for prior learning apply in your learning business? Would there be value in offering credit for prior learning, and how might it help you attract your learners to new learning opportunities? And second, how intentionally are you using community and social learning as part of your learning business strategy, and what are the principles driving your learning community? When you check out the show notes, you'll also see the various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of what you hear and aren't subscribed already, we'd be truly grateful if you would subscribe. It helps us get some data about the impact of what we're doing. We'd also be grateful if you would take a minute to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Go to leadinglearning.com slash Apple. That will put you in the right place. Jeff and I personally appreciate your rating and review, but even more importantly, reviews and ratings help the podcast show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. And we'd be grateful if you'd check out our sponsor for this quarter. Find out more about community brands at leadinglearning.com slash community brands. Finally, consider following us and sharing the good word about leading learning. You can find us on Twitter by going to leadinglearning.com slash Twitter, on Facebook at leadinglearning.com slash Facebook, and on LinkedIn at leadinglearning.com slash LinkedIn. And we do, again, invite and encourage you to follow us on LinkedIn to get those resources to help your learning business. And wherever you share, you can use the leading learning hashtag. However you do it, please do help spread the word about leading learning. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on The Leading Learning Podcast.